On this episode of Ruin My Life, it's the holiday season. The holiday special. It's the holiday special. <laughs> so whoop-dee-doo and dickery-dock, and welcome to our holiday special, second annual holiday special. Second annual holiday special. Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like, and also, it's uh, it's the holiday season. Yeah, it is. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. We're here to celebrate uh, all things non-denominationally festive, although the things we're actually talking about are very denominational. Very denominational. Uh, very Christmas. Even more so somehow than last year. Somehow. I don't well, know how. I think it was, it was true to brand that our first holiday special was non-denominational. Well, yours was like a little bit denominational, but there was inclusivity. Right. And mine was just like, it happens at the holidays, so I associate it with the holidays. Um, I will say the, the, the mastermind, the chief creative force behind yours is a Jewish man. Oh, behind mine this week. This, Not behind this, this, this year. This yeah. year, yes. It is, it is a Jewish man, yes. And since last year... Again, I, on brand. I'm on brand. And since last year I did a Stephen Colbert comedy special produced by John Stewart, I assume there was... Uh, at, at several levels of production, there were some Jewish folks involved. Probably, yes. What I'm trying to say is we're, we're pro-Hanukkah here. We're very pro-Hanukkah. Obviously, Hanukkah. you're pro-Hanukkah. You're celebrating it. You're yes. celebrating it right now. Right at this current moment. That's going to date us because this doesn't come out until after Hanukkah is over. But hey, I hope everyone... It ends today. Uh, happy Hanukkah and Merry Christmas and everything else. Yeah. Whatever else you're into. New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. It, it does change year for everyone. Um... I assume Kwanzaa sometime around now. I believe so, yes. When was Ramadan this year? I'm guessing oh, we it missed was, it. It was way earlier. It was like April, right? Yeah. Oh. But everyone loves the holidays. Yeah. Well, that's not true. Some people love the holidays. Some people love the holidays. Okay, let me let me let me dial it down even further. I like the holiday season. Same. I like that we have decided just as a culture that at the point when there's the least sunlight and things are starting to get really, really cold, we have an entire f- series of festivities. Culturally enforced happiness. Culturally enforced happiness. <laughs> Uh, well, you need that, though. To to uh, offset the seasonal affective disorder. Exactly. The same way Halloween is sort of a collective purging of our, you know, society's dark thoughts and creepy interests that we feel are, should be shunned the rest of the year. Christmas, I think, I've grown to feel this more as I've gotten older, holds has a real function in society yeah, that I appreciate. I agree. Cool. And I don't mean, I don't, I, I keep using the word Christmas, and that's because I grew up in the Christmas tradition, so in the my... The holiday season. The holiday season is, is yeah. yeah, the holiday season is what I mean to say, but... Midwinter. The, in the bleak midwinter. In the, in the bleak midwinter. Yes. <laughs> so can I get a few more bars of that? Frosty winds may moan. Hell yeah. Now do that, that, that sad song from the Snowman movie. I didn't see the Snowman movie. No, like the animated one with the kid, the kid and the snowman oh, fly across one. the. You never saw that? I've seen the movie, but I don't know the song. Oh, I, I, I didn't mean it's like very the, high. I didn't mean the Snowman with Michael Fassbender. That's, <laughs> no. that's not what I meant. There's no song in that. I gave you all the clues. What if there is a song in that? I gave you all the clues. What if the Snowman the sings a song in that too? Oh no. 
What if the snowman is just a, a, a secret tie-in with the, the Jack Frost series? Like the Rankin-Bass Jack Frost series? Well, no, the live-action Jack Frost series. Okay, so there's, there's sort of actually two franchises that, I'm, so kind of, many Jack that I'm mentally combining right now. There was, in the late 90s, I feel like there were two separate Jack Frost there's series running. There's one where he is like a kid and he has to go be yes, Jack there's, Frost. There's the Michael Keaton one okay. where he, he dies. Uh, bummer. But, but he, was he ne- is the spirit of winter. But he was a bad dad, so he gets to come back as a snowman to hang out with his kid. I remember that one. Then there's the Bad Dad Snow Dad. Then there's the B-movie uh, horror franchise, Jack Frost, wherein a similar thing happens to, I assume, like a serial killer or just a bad dude. Sure. And he possesses the snowman and he starts killing people. Fun. I just remember those were out at the same time because they were right next to each other at Blockbuster. That's very confusing. Uh, My mind may be creating a, a false memory there because there's no reason why a family comedy and a trauma level horror movie would be in the same shelf but i not a blockbuster where things are shelved by genre what if they're shelved under new release what if mm. they're both new releases what if there was like a holiday section Ooh, that'd be a tough one yeah that'd be a tough one probably don't don't put those in there at all no so what i'm saying is what if those are a what if those are in the same universe to where these were just two separate men who underwent the same uh, no, curse life thing. No, both Jack Frost are, are part, victims of the same curse. Right. And the snowman, the new snowman. The new snowman starring Michael Fassbender. Is also a victim of the same curse. Well, no, because he doesn't become a snowman that, does he? I don't know. Neither of us have seen it. True. True. <laughs> Maybe what if he, he does. does become a snowman? Maybe Mr. Police needs all the clues so he can break the curse. That's it. The killer is is has weaponized the snowman curse and is turning people into snowmen. <gasps> That's why there's that weird trailer where he is like, by the time you read this, I will have made another another snowman, Mister Police. <laughs> Listen, this is not the this is not the <laughs> Michael Fassbender the snowman episode of this podcast. Though we'll get there eventually. Probably, yeah. We'll get there. You'll get your day in court, Mister Police. Kelsey, what are we actually talking about on this most festive of episodes? Um, well, on the holiday special, we each bring something to the table, which is different from our normal format, and we exchange gifts, as you will, if you will, of gifts of, of, thing, of ruination. Oh, thank God. I thought you meant we actually were supposed to bring real gifts to this. No, we did that already. Good, because I, I didn't get you anything. You did get me something. It's on my desk at work. Yeah, I mean, I got you something. <laughs> but not for this. Yep. For not the for podcasting of, partnership. For the purposes of this brief comedy moment. I'm sorry, I ruined I didn't it. get you anything. I ruined the joke. No, Kelsey, you ruined my life. Oh, uh, they said it. They said it. <laughs> they said the thing. Drink. Oh, drink. Anyway, so we each bring something to the table and we exchange, exchange gifts of ruination. And they're holiday themed. Yes, that, that's an important part of this yes. one, is that they're holiday-themed. Last year, we discussed... A Colbert Christmas, a Colbert the greatest Christmas, gift of all. The greatest gift of all. And um, the yearly series, The Big Fat Quiz of the Year. Um, so, so non-denominational, it is in fact in no way holiday-themed. It's up to airs on Christmas. We were a lot looser with our, uh, our concepts back then, I feel like. Yeah, but I think it's still like if... If we had been less loose, I still would. We were talking about our personal Christmas traditions. That's true. And the big fat quiz of the year is your holiday tradition. It is. So it's not so much that we need this needs to be Christmas-themed media or holiday-themed media. Because really, what does that mean? In fact, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Let's dive into that for the next hour and a half. Why not? Why don't we? 
Can we not? I think we as a culture are ready for that conversation. Um, Jason, on the subject of is Die Hard a Christmas movie, can I say that I don't care? Whoa. Hot take. Tommy Lee Jones over here. So anyway, this year we watched two classic pieces of Christmas culture. From about the same time period. Same 10 years. Give or take, yeah, Six, eight, eight, seven or eight years, seven or eight I think. Seven years, yeah. So I brought the classic Christmas film, White Christmas, starring Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney, Danny Kaye and Vera Ellen, which is named after the iconic song, White Christmas, by Irving Berlin, as made popular by Bing Crosby. Am I correct in, in thinking that song uh, became proper after it was featured in, in Holiday, Holiday Inn? Yes. Which Bing Crosby was also in. Mm-hmm. And this movie was supposed to reunite Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire, who starred opposite him in Holiday Inn. But Fred couldn't do it for some reason. And then they recast him with someone else, and that person got sick. <laughs> and then they hired Danny Kaye. Because Holiday Inn came out in the 40s. Holiday Inn was, I think, 1942. Which is, so, you know, over 10 years yeah, before this. 12 years previous to White Christmas. This, this movie got delayed a few times, um, recast a few times, um, you know, changed and, and moved around a few times. It was in what we would call today, uh, present day, development hell. Yeah, that is what we would call that. Although back then movies were made so fast, I feel like if your production was stalled for even a month, you were in development hell. Probably. Because they had to crank out, you know, like 20 films a year per director. (laughs) So this movie was meant to reunite the stars of Holiday Inn, um, but didn't end up doing that. And now I would say it's probably a better known film than Holiday Inn for several reasons. Yeah. Most of them good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Holiday Inn's not a great movie. It's good in its edited form. (laughs) But it's still not great. <laughs> there is less of a pall of racism hanging over White Christmas. There's less. still there's less. less. <laughs> there's still a little bit. I, I would say enough less that say, well, White Christmas, for example, there's not an entire number you have to cut from the TV version so that your advertisers don't abandon you. Right, because it's in blackface. This, ooh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, it's not good. So yeah, Holiday in the movie problematic holiday in the show remounted last year very good very fun i assume they removed the offending number they did okay and Smart. corbin blue starred in it so okay you just yeah. they're, they're hedging their bets really really yeah. <laughs> um it was very fun but this is not holiday Inn. but that song was popularized in holiday Inn, and people loved it so much they wanted to make a christmasy spinoff based around the song which White christmas back then i guess meant not that you sort of took any any of the themes from the song no it just sort of was the main guidance for the score yeah it just <laughs> well, and they did kind of take themes from the song you're dreaming of a white christmas and the whole part of the plot is that it, the christmas is not white as they want it to be that's sort of a uh, you know set dressing though for the actual plot i suppose yes i mean i guess i guess the the, the movie white christmas is, is an adaptation of the song white christmas in the yeah. sense that it features someone who wants it to snow. <laughs> Shall I describe the actual plot? Yes, please. Okay, so Phil Davis and Bob Wallace are in the army in 1944 together. They get to know each other. They entertain the troops. 
their beloved general gets hurt and is forced to retire. They put on a big show to send him off. It's on Christmas Eve. This is all in the first like 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. When they leave the army, they become partners in production and performance and performance they're song and dance men they're producers they're songwriters they're choreographers they do everything they're you know rat pack like in their renown yeah they but they refer to themselves a couple times as rogers and hammerstein types because one of them does write the lyrics for their shows and yeah. one does do the music right yeah so as far as i understand yes they're composers who perform just pause uh, how much better would this movie have been if it had starred these two actors as the characters rogers and hammerstein <laughs> proposing a sort of alternate universe an imaginary story about these two composers meeting two women in a cabin but i'm getting ahead of myself so they're on tour with their musical and they meet betty and judy haynes Sisters of sisters of freckle-faced haynes the dog-faced, the dog-faced boy. boy um who's actually pretty adorable yeah, you see a picture of uh, freckle-faced haynes the dog-faced boy that who they know from the army he's freckly he's freckle-faced but he's certainly not dog-faced it's very mean the haynes have gotten themselves into a spot of trouble with their landlord in florida and need to make a quick exit so phil gives them their train tickets so they can go to vermont long story short everyone ends up going to vermont because the haynes sisters have a uh, a, a booking there at an inn Turns out the inn is owned by their beloved former general. What? But it's Vermont and there's no snow. Oh, no. It's America's snow playground and there's no snow. Oh, no. Um. So in a ploy to get people to the inn, Wallace and Davis mount their show at the inn. And it turns into a big thank you to the general. And lots of romantic comedy tropes ensue. Bob and Betty get together. Phil and Judy get together. It snows. It doesn't snow until the very end, until though. the very end. They really make you wait for it. They do. They, you come in the movie called White Christmas, you think, oh, boy, it's going to be snowing right away. Man, it's no, not. No, Florida. And then there's a lot of buildup about getting to Vermont where it's going to be everything's covered in snow. They sing an entire song about snow. 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 Oh, <laughs> not how it goes. But and, but when they get to Vermont, there's no snow on the ground, and, you, and you're you're just you're dying for it at this point. You please let me they, see the they snow. They have built up the snow. And then at the end, it snows. And then it snows at the end. It's yes. nice, I guess. You know, Bob is is billed as like the straight man. He wants to you know get his work done, put on his show. Doesn't have time for love. Phyllis is goofy, goofy friend, womanizing, whatever. He's the dance boy. He's the dance boy. He's a good, good dance boy. Bob Wallace is the sing boy. Yes, that is correct. Um, and then they meet the two sisters and are instantly enamored. Funnily enough, the, the, the sisters also have a sing girl and a dance girl. They have a sing girl and a dance girl, yes. Rosemary Clooney's character, Betty, is the sing girl and Vera Ellen's char- character is the dance girl. Vera Ellen is the only one of the four of them that doesn't do her own singing in this because she's dancing a lot. It's kind of a little bit unfair how, because like Danny Kaye can sing pretty well, mm-hmm. but when you put him next to Bing Crosby and make them dance like the same routine, yeah. it's really embarrassing for Bing Crosby. It is, He's right? not bad, but it's just he, him and, and then when you put Rosemary Clooney up there next to Vera Ellen, yeah. the two non-dancers look so awkward and stilted, even when they're just walking around on stage. Yeah. They're just, uh... 
I mean, not the same level. Danny Kaye and Vera Ellen are my favorite things about this movie. I love the dancing, and they they both just have so much expression and and like the best things happen while you're dancing is like one of my favorite dance numbers in a movie ever. <laughs> it really hits quite a crescendo there. It does. <laughs> it starts off as a very slow romantic number. And they're singing together and then they they stop singing and the chorus, the off-screen invisible chorus kicks in <laughs> and they start dancing. And then all of a sudden the tempo picks up and they're jumping around. They're swinging on top of bridges. <laughs> they're jumping onto shacks and dancing up there. Yeah. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. But very entertaining. Very entertaining. I think a lot of modern day movie musicals would do to take a lesson from old school movie musicals in some regards. In some regards. Clearly old school movie musicals includes Holiday Inn, so there's some things there we're not going to replicate. Yeah. But long, like, just unbroken takes where they just this aren't, you know, aren't showily framed. They're just there to demonstrate how well these how two well people can dance. How well the performers can dance, yeah. yeah. it's great. That's very entertaining. Yeah, my favorite thing, though, one of my favorite things is that in Sisters, it's actually Rosemary Clooney doing both voices. Yeah. And you can, you can tell... A little bit, because in, in all the other things that they sing together, there's another singer singing uh, Judy's part. But in that, it's Rosemary Clooney because it's something to do with the rights of the song. It's weird. Because <laughs> <laughs> she was, like, contracted to a certain company, and it was... Weird. Yeah, some, something weird with contracts. But, um, but I love this movie. I mean... It's just, it's a classic movie musical and it's Irving Berlin's music that's great and so catchy and the performances are great. I don't really have a lot to say about it. It's not complicated. It's festive without being like, you know, overly Christmas, you know? Yeah, it's not, it's not so Christmassy that you couldn't watch it at a different time of year. Right. Which is a thing, a lot of Christmas entertainment, especially like sort of the made for TV or nowadays made for Netflix variety, yeah. they get sort of churned out by... You know, Netflix or Hallmark, pretty famously, yeah. is just like skates by on simply being Christmassy. And I love that. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely. I, I last week watched the entirety of the movie Office Christmas Party yeah. because I knew it would be bad, but I also knew it would be set at Christmas. And that was enough to carry me through. But you wouldn't watch it in like March. And no, never. Never. But this you could watch in March. Yeah. April. May. June? Would you yeah, watch it in June? I don't know. Maybe if it's really hot. Probably not June. Cold. Probably not June. Probably not June, though. Probably not June. But I love I love the dancing. It's one of my favorite parts of this this movie. And I think I haven't seen Danny Kay in a lot of stuff, but I think he's so charming in this. And just like he has such good facial expressions and, and like the song choreography is just so fun. That's that's a weird one. It's a weird There's one. A song choreography all about how those old you know, these new get these new People on the scene dancing. They're not dancing or stepping anymore. They're doing choreography. Chaps. With the, with the idea being that choreography nowadays is too abstract and showy. And this is in 1954. Mm -hmm. So I don't think these people would have really dug what's going on nowadays. And I, and I want to say, as much as I want to think this, this entire number about how, like, you know, uh, old dancing is so much better than new dancing, it's kind of, like, conservative and wrong-headed and nostalgic in a way that I find very off-putting. I got to say... I don't disagree with it. <laughs> when you see choreography like the kind of this movie, and then you see, you know, the choreography in, in, I don't know, any other, like, I don't even want to name names, like these modern day Broadway shows. Mm -hmm. This is, I mean, it's an aesthetic preference probably, but I prefer this. I prefer the, I, I like tapping. I, like I love tapping. I love tapping. I love tapping. It, I'm never going to not enjoy watching pe two people go, go nuts tapping on some stuff. Same. 
It's my favorite thing. Stephanie was in a tap number in one of the showcases in uh, in college, and it was like my favorite thing. Ah, Stephanie, friend of the show. Friend of the show. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm not against other kinds of dancing. Just there's something very pleasing to me about the the form of the tap. And also, uh, note about that number. They have a bunch of people, or a bunch of women, really come in to, to represent the modern day. You know. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, the, whatever the 1954 version of like the hippie, artsy kind of choreograph- choreography uh, was. Yep. And they're all styled in a way where they could easily have, you know, worn these same outfits in present day. Yeah. So shout out to Edith Head, costume design, for, for seeing the next 60 years of yeah. style. Like, I'm pretty sure I've seen those exact dresses on So You Think You Can Dance. So, Kelsey, mm-hmm. some questions about White Christmas. Sure. When did you first see it? Oh, jeez. Okay, that that's not a good sign. We can skip this question. <laughs> I don't I don't want to do this. A while ago. A while ago? Middle school probably. So you don't have any strong memories around the first time you saw it then? No. It's one of Jennifer's favorite movies. Friend of the podcast, Friend Jennifer of the podcast, Harlan. Jennifer Harlan. So we would watch it every year like around Christmas. But it's such a nice movie and I watch it probably more than once a Christmas season. Like, I watch this movie probably at least twice every Christmas. Same with Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, how good is Muppet Christmas Carol? Muppet Christmas Carol is the best Christmas movie. It's definitely the best a Christmas Carol adaptation. Oh, definitely. Do, do we want to uh, talk about... Well, I, I, have a, I have a question for you. I think I know what the answer is. And that will segue into my, the next topic I want to touch on. Sure. Since we talked about how much we love the choreography, the costume design, the singing, that old rich, you know... Uh, Bing Crosby. Is he a baritone? I think so. Yeah, just that old, you know, that old... He's a crooner. He's a crooner. Yeah. The sort of classic style of singing that's so restrained and, and unemotional that it reads as deeply funny to my modern sensibilities. <laughs> but I don't laugh at it because I'm trying to be mature. I'm very proud of you. So we love all that stuff. Kelsey, what's your least favorite part of White Christmas? Um, gonna probably say the minstrel number. Probably the minstrel number. <laughs> it's probably it. It's very upsetting because it's it's better than Holiday in which there is a blackface number. Which is specified. There's no actual there's no actual minstrelsy on minstrel show being performed in this in this number. In it is a number that is lauding when there were minstrel shows. It's called "I'd Rather See a Minstrel Show" than any about, other show I know about nostalgic longing for the minstrel show and what a great thing it was and how funny and amusing it was. And it's a very catchy song, but it's just the whole. It's, you know, this this really catchy song with really good choreography that, like, is all offset by the fact that they're singing about minstrelsy. Here's what I don't like about it. Or, well, you know what I don't like about it. Here's what really gets me about it. Sure. Is that scene, the staging. Yeah. The set design for that, that one scene. Yeah. And, like, the costumes, amazing. Yeah. Because it's all, everything is red and green. Everything's Even, like, red and green. the suit coats and the pants and the dresses those, are all... Those freaking green tail suits are so good. It's amazing. I've never seen a tail suit of that color before. Oh, they're like and emerald. They're all, and they're dancing around this giant, like, beautiful, like, elaborate stage that they built only for this one it's number. It's all red. It's all red. And it's, a, it's just beautiful to look at, but it's impossible to enjoy it because they're singing about how much they miss when minstrel shows used to be a thing. And even, they move on to the numbers that... I don't think are about minstrel shows, but I honestly don't know. They could be sort right. of tangentially about that that entire genre. 
Uh, but even then, even when you Mandy can, like, doesn't feel like it is, but you never know. It's paired with, but the fact that it, it happens underneath this banner of yeah, here's our song. Like they open this before the scene begins, they have like a a, 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 a sudden zoom in on the chalkboard that announces what they're working on that yeah. day, and then as soon as that shot pops up and it says minstrel number, minstrel number, oh boy. Ooh. I, I I chugged my collar so hard I thought I was gonna pass out. Yeah, it wasn't good. Oh boy, it wasn't good. But other than that problematic bit, it's an enjoyable movie. Yes, and it has less. Uh, I guess it doesn't have that much problematic stuff in it. But I think mostly because that number is like a a um, I don't want to say black hole, but it's the only thing that actually makes this metaphor work. Sure. It's sucking in all the, the 1950s badness into one, one concentrated mass. <laughs> Holding it in the at, at, like at the dead center of, of the movie too. It's like exactly it's halfway a through the movie. Star of badness. <laughs> yes, it just <laughs> collapsing in or everything around it. But once you escape the 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 black hole, the black hole, which is uh, again bad for the metaphor because you actually can't escape a black hole. Right. Things are fine. It's a good, it's a charming movie. It's I'm glad you showed movie. it to me. I don't know if I'd watch it again. Okay. If if you wanted to watch it again, I'd watch it again with you. I won't make you watch it again. I'll watch it again. I don't care. <laughs> Maybe not right now. Maybe next Christmas, next yeah. holiday season. It was fun. It was or fun. What did, what did you like about it? I mean, it's a, it's a successfully you know executed musical comedy film in the style of that time. It was the first movie shot in Vista Vision, Vista which Vision. it announces to you at the beginning of the movie. Yes, it does. Which is kind of off putting because Vista Vision was used to make this and like a few other movies. It went away after like seven years. Yeah. From what I understand, they just turned the films sideways to allow larger print area. Yeah. It wasn't really a higher quality print. Yeah. They just did something with the lens that I don't fully understand, to be honest, to make it uh, look better. Make there be less, less grain, basically. Yeah. It doesn't carry over super well to home video. No. It's okay, though. Um, I gotta say, this is this is kind of a minor thing but i like that it has a complicated history in terms of its audio track yeah and the different mixes yeah i always appreciate when there's like weirdness like that like that all the original audio (laughs) audio recordings were like lost in a fire yeah and that's why that's why it's not available in stereo because Uh they just don't have that stuff anymore because it they can't remake it nope so the version we have is basically mono with some beefed up music in this in the in the musical segments no i like it I, I like, uh, I've never seen a Bing Crosby movie before. Okay. I've never seen him in anything. But then again, I'm pretty openly, uh, uh, ashamedly ill-educated on older movies in a lot of ways. Crosby provided the narration for The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad in 1949. Well, how about that? Jason. Yes, Kelsey? What are you gifting me this Christmas episode? I'm gifting you on this Christmas episode... A Christmas episode of the show The Twilight Zone. Ooh. It's called The Night of the Meek. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It aired as part of the second season of The Twilight Zone on December 23rd, 1960. It is written, like many episodes of the show were, by Rod Serling. He wrote um, nearly half of the show, and it oh. had like over 150 episodes. So That's a lot. That's a lot of writing credits, Rod Serling. Rod, was uh, he was on his grind. Yeah. He was a hardworking dude. Narrating shit. Writing shit, appearing in shit. Yeah, <laughs> and he, this episode is about a mall Santa named Henry Corwin, who is so depressed by how awful the world is, 
and how sad he is that he can't be the real Santa and give gifts to all the poverty-stricken people around him, that he has to get drunk every day before his shift. Because if he doesn't drink, then he'll weep. And drinking is so much more subtle. You got it. I got it. You got it. Um, and he, he stumbles into his job on Christmas Eve, gets canned. Because he's drunk. Because he's drunk by his boss. Mr. Dundee. Thank you. By his boss, Mr. Dundee. And he delivers a long and dramatic monologue about his sadness. Stumbles out into the cold. Looking finds, like Niles Crane. Looking like, <laughs> looking like 1950s Niles Crane. Uh, stumbles out into the snow, finds a bag of trash, which... No, 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 no. It's a magic bag. It's a magic bag. And he gives everyone whatever they want for Christmas. He hands out the gifts. Eventually, cool eventually runs afoul of a mean nun, I think Salvation she is. Salvation Army sister. I a think. Salvation Army sister, I yeah. think. Yeah, that's that's correct. She calls the police on him. Officer Flannerty shows up. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Tries to take Corwin in for stealing all this, this merchandise, which he assumes is stolen because it's just coming out of nowhere and, and Corwin has no receipt for it. And he's a drunk, and he just got fired by a department <laughs> he's a store. Drunk. Yeah, he just yeah. <laughs> so they call in Mr. Dundee, who discovers that the bag is in some way magical, because when he tries to pull out the gifts to show that they were stolen from his store, he's pulling out nothing but trash, just cans, and a cat with a human voice. <laughs> it doesn't canonically have a human voice, but it's definitely a human it's, voice. It's, it's, it appears twice. Stuart Wellington. It appears twice the episode. <laughs> <laughs> and there's clearly just some Stuart Wellington guy off screen <laughs> doing cat noises. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Um, and so they're, they're forced to let him go. He hands out a few more gifts and reflects on what a great Christmas this has been for him because he got the thing he really wanted. The greatest gift of all. But it's not done yet. It turns out he walks down the same alleyway because it's a shot on like a one very small set. He walks down the very same alleyway and finds a sleigh hooked up to some, hooked up to some reindeer. And a jolly little elf person. A child. A child. It's a child. Well, it's an elf. It's an elf. Yeah, it's an elf. It's an elf. Who who whisks him away on the flying sled to go off and be Santa forever. We have a lot of work to do. Yep. Yeah, and Dundee and Flaherty, who are stumbling out of the police, station. police precinct, uh, at least one of them is very drunk. They see him flying by and they have sort of a, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship kind of moment. But I could go home to drink coffee and brandy. And then from it's midnight and also. F- and from there, who knows? Who knows? Hey, don't these people have families? Anyway, <laughs> that's it. The title comes from a, th- a thing uh, Dundee says in his speech about how he wants the meek to inherit the earth. Which is from the Bible? Yes, it's from the Bible. <laughs> the new part of the Bible. Jesus said The Jesus it, right? part of the, the Bible. Je- it's yeah. from the Jesus part. I don't know the Jesus part. Mm. I just know that that's, that's in... That much is obvious. That is quoted in Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> oh, Kelsey. <laughs> I don't know the Jesus part of the Bible, but I know musical theater. I wonder which of those has caused more um, more pain and suffering in the world. What? The Bible or musical theater. Hmm. Mm, good question. We'll save that for the after show. So, Kelsey, you have, uh, this is your first episode of The Twilight Zone you ever saw. Yeah. I, well, yeah, sort of. Explain yourself. Well, I've been on the ride Tower of Terror, which is no longer <laughs> yeah, in existence. It got re- remade into a Guardians of the Galaxy themed ride, if I'm yeah. correct. But that whole, the whole uh, conceit of that ride is that you're like in an episode of the Twilight Zone. I, I don't really remember the storyline of the, the Tower of Terror ride, except that they made a Disney Channel original movie based on the, the, ride, the yeah. ride. Did not get hit the success of maybe a Parts of the Caribbean. 
or even a Tomorrowland. Because it was released straight to, to, to television. But and I starred just Steve Gutenberg and, and... Oh my gosh, Kelsey. What? You absolutely need to revisit the Tower of Terror the from movie? 1997. Cause you know who's in it? Who? Kirsten Dunst. Yes. Late 90s Kirsten Dunst. Late 90s you, Kirsten you're, Dunst, you're, my favorite. Your favorite actress of all time. I mean, I mean that, that's, that's a bit of sidetrack because that movie has nothing to do with the Twilight Zone. Um, other than that, it's tangentially related to the Tower of Terror. Which is itself tangentially related to the Twilight Zone. I just remember the music, and I remember the Rod Serling voiceover. And that you go through, you like you're going for, before you go down, before they drop you, you like go into the twilight zone, and they tell you a story, and then they <laughs> drop you. I wish we could. I wonder what the story is. No, I'm not gonna do this. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna once again get sidetracked on our podcast talking about a closed Disney World Disney ride. World ride. I've not, done that before. Yeah, you know, I remember when I had a 20 minute thing about a. a extraterrestrial alien encounter oh, yeah. <laughs> when we talked about um, i don't even know what it was oh clue yeah so i'm not i'm not going off on that sidetrack again we could we this could be an entire podcast about uh closed, closed or reformatted disney, world, disney rides. world rides but we're not gonna do that okay we're gonna focus we're gonna in on about the twilight, twilight zone. zone this is my first episode of the twilight zone uh how, how did this how did this interact with your expectations of what an episode of the twilight zone is um i expected the twilight zone to be scarier just because I just had an expectation that it was scary, mostly based on the music, because the music is scary. It's a scary theme song. Do 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 do. And it's it's famously like a suspenseful or you know it's a creepier show usually. Mm-hmm. It was. Um, I don't think this particular episode was that creepy. No, it's friend. That's not creepy at all. It's a nice one, as I told mm-hmm. you to do. It's just one of the nice ones. It's one of the nice ones. Well, it's interesting, I guess, because a lot of the Twilight Zone scripts were very moralistic. Rod Serling was not a subtle writer. And neither were many of the other writers who worked in the show. So when they wanted to make a point about society, um, it was they, very out there. It was it was very obvious, mm-hmm. and it was it was usually stuff you can get behind. Like the Twilight Zone is usually is a very you know liberal show. All the the politics on it were very you know about positive social justice related things like you know racism or things of that nature, mob mentality, the Red Scare. It's it goes on and on. Obviously, and so this one is making a slightly less relevant moral point, I guess. Which, if there's any sort of moral to it, moral to it, it's that we should give things to people. I think it's almost a more subtle, surprisingly moral point that, like, just because people are down on their luck doesn't mean they don't have good intentions. There's definitely something to be said about people who are homeless or poor or unemployed or whatever, and how we should help them. Maybe you're right. Maybe there is something there about how. Everyone assumes that Corwin has stolen all these goods and has given them to people when actually he's just acting out of the kindness of his heart because his greatest wish is to give to other people. I like that. I'm not sure that's what they were going for. That's probably a bit too too subtle for them, to be honest. Fair enough. It's probably just meant to be a fable about Christmas time and giving and wouldn't it be nice to, to do something nice for people? That's it, really what I like about it. It it's, is nice. The entire message is basically like, what if you could be Santa Claus? I like... That at the end, you kind of think he's like, oh, I've gotten in over my head for a second. And then he's like, okay, yeah, I'll go be Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because if, you if you've got any experience with the Twilight Zone or just any idea about what it is, you might think for a second that set it for some dark twist where now you're cursed to give the one thing you didn't want to give, your life or oh. your soul. No, he just gets to be Santa forever. Pretty cool. Yeah, because Christmas is a time where dreams come true. 
And at Christmas, we tell the truth. And the truth is... I'm in love with Kira Knightley, I guess. <laughs> Wasn't that, that... that was Andrew Lincoln's truth. Yeah. It's not your truth, Jason. No, I just thought that's the... I thought that was the truth we're supposed to tell at Christmas. <laughs> the thing that really gets me the, about this episode is the monologue that Corwin delivers about, about five minutes into the show. Art Carney just tears into this thing. It is a over-the-top, histronic, wild ride of a monologue. It's got schmaltz. It's very, it's very schmaltzy. <laughs> he talks about how he lives in a dirty house with shabby people where the only thing that comes down the chimney on Christmas Eve is more poverty. But it also makes me cry every time I see it. Aww. So, Kelsey, how'd you like it? I enjoyed it. It was nice. It's nice. It's nice. I don't know if I'd watch it again, mostly because of the quality of the film Ooh. or not mm. film, Ooh. as it were. Kelsey, you about to wake up the beast. You said you were going to talk about it a lot, so I'm giving you an opening. When they were shooting these episodes of The Twilight Zone, the second season had gone over budget by quite a bit. And their, their solution to that was they were going to try to film six episodes on videotape to save money. So was there every other every other episode of the show was shot on film. There were six. They were shot on awful soap opera looking 1960s Doctor Who videotape. And this was one of them. This is the only episode of the Twilight Zone I've I've seen this many times. I watch it every year, and every year I'm Wish still it was on I'm film. still mad about how bad it looks. <laughs> it didn't even save them that money. Oh, that's upsetting. It didn't even save them the money. Every episode was costing $65,000. That's a lot. And they tried to cut time. back, and they shot these six episodes on this awful, awful garbage. Crap-ass video And game. they saved $30,000 altogether. Ooh. Yeah. So five Didn't even make up the cost of one episode. The, uh, the, the, actually, the Wikipedia entry about this episode uh, has a little editorializing. Ooh, I love Wikipedia editorializing. Yeah, total, total savings on editing and cinematography costs amounted to only about 30000 for all six entries. Not enough to just justify the loss of depth of visual perspective, which gave those shows an appearance akin to that of a stage-bound live TV drama or even daytime soap operas, which, at the time, were quickly and cheaply produced live on one or two sets. The experiment was therefore deemed a failure and never attempted again. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm mad about it, but I've just learned to accept it. I mean, it was good. It was good. I don't know if it'll make it into my regular rotation. At least not until Netflix lets me make playlists of, like, one episode from random shows. Yeah, what is that? Why would I let you do that? Why, does, why doesn't every streaming service have a playlist option? It should. Especially Netflix. Because, like, at Christmas time, I just want to watch the Christmas episodes of everything. Or, like, make them for me, Netflix. Just go through all the shows I watch and put all the Christmas episodes in one thing that I could watch in order. Why is that the one thing that most streaming platforms haven't gotten onto yet is that people the want playlist thing? playlists. I don't know. That people watch TV in the same way they might listen to music. Because they have like, you know, watch next on some of those, some like YouTube, yes. I guess. Not really. YouTube, you can make playlists, but yeah, you know. But like, mm. I wouldn't be able to make a playlist on Netflix. Come on, Netflix. Come on, Netflix. Use some of that bright money. Use some of that Will Smith ogre cop movie money to invest in a playlist function for your stupid app kidding netflix just kidding give us money for our clue reboot 
Use all that Christmas Prince money. That did really well. People <laughs> fucking love that. It was a meme. <laughs> Couldn't have cost more than $25 to make. Right? It was very bad. You reinvest that in yourself, Netflix. You don't go out and spend it. You don't blow all the money on whatever the 2017 equivalent of cocaine and blackjack is. I guess they still have cocaine. And people probably still play blackjack. Um, online, though. Ooh, yeah. So I guess that's our holiday message this year is to Netflix. We, we want a playlist don't, function? Don't blow all your money on drugs <laughs> and playing poker online. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, I guess that's a pretty good non-denominational message for the holidays. Sure. I was hoping we'd end up on a more hopeful note, like something a little more inspiring, but... Um, I guess this is it. May your days be merry and bright. And all your Christmases. Sounds like a whale noise. Anyway. Anyway. I enjoyed the, that episode of The Twilight Zone. I enjoyed that movie you showed me. Excellent. Good job, Kelsey. It's Christmas. We've had too much eggnog. It's Christmas. It's a happy Hanukkah. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Thanks. Happy midwinter. Happy hashtag peak midwinter. Is that anything? Peak midwinter? Mm. Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. Special Christmas thanks to Danny Abowd of the Weeping Willage for use of their song Outside in the Rain, more like Outside in the Snow, from their album the Weeping Willards, available on Bandcamp. Give the gift of Bandcamp. <laughs> you want to take that again? No. No, you do yours now. Okay. Make, um, it, make it Christmassy. Well, and special Hanukkah thanks to Carly Sussman, because she's one of the tribe, who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. Are you okay, Jason? <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, please, please rate and review us on iTunes. Give us the gift of rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Please. And leave a note underneath the tree saying why you like the show so much. The Tell note, us why you like the show. The note is the review. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. And hey, we don't, uh, we don't really say this anymore, but if you want to like suggest a topic for the show, you can do it. You totally can. Yeah, really. Just like... Just shout something out right now, and we'll hear it. Or, or, or you know, just send it to us through one of our many uh, social media channels. Anyway, this has been another holiday spectacular for me and Kelsey. So snuggle up warm in your beds. Are you okay? Blow up, blow <laughs> out the candle. You sit next to your bed. What is happening? And wave right them now? little, the little, little tippy tap of hooves. On, on your on your roof as you wait for Saint Nick to pay you a visit. Okay, that's the end. Happy, Happy holidays. holidays. For Happy real. holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. Can't let them get to me. And even though I always fuck my life up. Only I can mention me They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up
can't let them get to me. And even though I always fuck my life up, only I can mention me. Only I can mention me. Only I can mention me. Happy Hanukkah. And uh, and everyone else, Christmas is coming up. And, you know, there's other things, too. No, everyone else. It's just you celebrate Hanukkah or... Ah! Oh, and I spilled hot water on myself, too. Oh, no! Listen, I'm just going to do it without the without the, the pop filter this no time. No pop filters for Jason. I just won't ever close my mouth all the way. <laughs> um, okay. Sorry, that was a weird laugh. Uh, that's okay. Where, 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 where's a good place to are, go back to? Are you okay? No, I just spilled some warm water on myself. Is it, like, hot, though? Like, are you burnt? No, no, it doesn't burn. It doesn't even look like I peed myself, so it's actually best case scenario. Oh. Don't look. Why are you looking? <laughs> Why would you look? Because I want to know. I said it doesn't okay, look like go, I peed myself. Um, let's go back to what were you saying before you spilled on yourself? As I was saying before I spilled <laughs> warm lemon water on myself. That's because this is a real podcast. 